this week, uh, next week, for the next couple weeks to finish up the book of Ephesians. This week and next week should be our final two as we get into the fall of Ephesians. Um, and we spent the last three weeks talking about all of the most important relationships in our life. Uh, if you remember in Ephesians 6, we talked about our relationship with our spouse, our husband or wife. We talked about our relationship with our kids. And then last week, we even talked about, in the Word of God, we talked about uh, our relationships and our jobs. God cares about the little small details of your life, and that's why he puts stuff in there. Uh, In Ephesians, it talks about slaves and masters. We can relate a lot of those principles to our jobs these days. um, Somewhere in there in the past few weeks, I promise you, there's something that applied to you. Even if you're like, well, I'm not married. Or you're like, I don't have any kids. Well, you probably have a job, or you're probably working sometime in your life, or you have someone to answer to. So there's something in there for you. I encourage you to go find uh, the podcast if you want to. You can search that on the pod, any of the podcast things, Spotify or Apple or Google. Um, and that's what we've been talking about. Now, Paul, he's getting ready to finish up this letter. And he's said some pretty revolutionary things in these six chapters of Ephesians. He started with the fact way back when we started this that Jewish people and Gentiles, they now have equal access to God. This would have been completely mind-blowing to them in the first century. And they have it, not because of their own actions, but because of the pure and spotless sacrifice of Jesus. Paul talked about how all of us who know Christ, every single one of us, are members of the same family. We all have gifts and abilities that God has given us to use for his glory. We're all part of the same family. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. He talked about how we should put away the old and we should walk into the new. We spent some time talking about how you have to leave behind the old if you want to step into the new stuff. Paul's talked about, I love this part, how not only are we in the light, but we are the light. When we have Christ in us, we're not just existing in the light, we're taking the light other places because we are the light. And now he's got to figure out how to leave them. He said a lot of big and heavy stuff in here, and he's got to figure out how to leave them. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, if you haven't guessed, you can turn there, turn your device there, flip your mind there if you haven't memorized. However, uh, he's figured out what to leave them with, and he knows that this life that they've chosen, serving Jesus in the first century, it might not be easy. Which is why Paul wants to talk to them about how they can run to the battle. Run to the battle. We're going to, like I said, be in Ephesians 6. You can turn there. You see, just like us, we were, uh, they were battling to follow Christ in the middle of this world that seemed like it wanted to do the opposite. We tend to think uh, today, that our world has worse sin than they had in the first century. But the reality is, they have the same human nature that we have. Sin might be easier to find now, probably is. But the crux of the issue is the same. The crux of the issue is human nature. I found that there is something that happens in this life. I think you'll probably agree with me. Often, your biggest battles are the ones that you don't see coming. Right? When you're not prepared, those are usually the hardest ones. And we'll get into it later, but I think that's the way the enemy actually prefers it. But we need to know this morning, friends, there's a difference between merely surviving and running to the battle with purpose. If you always knew what was coming, it'd be way easier to be prepared. It's getting close to football season. Anyone about football season? You want a few people? Yeah, me too. Excited. Part of going to football games in Boise is dressing for the weather, right? We have these, uh, I love going to games here because uh, it's just such a big change in the weather, right? The first home game, it might be 99 degrees out there. 
And by the last one, it might be nine degrees out there. I've experienced both in the same season. I, my very first week here, I know I shared a picture of me at this game. Uh, I think I was talking about how I love sports. Where it was the coldest game in Boise State history was nine degrees. I bought a water bottle at halftime, and it froze solid by the end of the game. I mean, it was that cold. <laughs> but here's the thing. We were prepared. I think Christina was with me. I know my sister was with me. Uh, and... Uh, my dad was out of town somewhere to warm, I think, but uh, so I had his tickets, but uh, we went, we were prepared. We looked at the forecast, we knew it was supposed to be like 11 degrees at start time, nine degrees at the end. And so, I mean, I literally wore as many layers as I could put on, multiple pairs of socks, my driest pair of shoes, cleared the snow off my seat, and I, you know, for it being nine degrees, I stayed pretty warm. There's pictures of me smiling that night. Contrast that with, uh, it was two or three years ago, they played Fresno State in the Mountain West Championship, and uh, have you known me enough to know by now maybe that I love like paying attention to the weather? But somehow I missed that it. it was probably going to snow. And I wore, it was the end of the year, so I wore warm stuff. But what I didn't do is wear shoes that were waterproof. Right? So we parked in our, our spot. We always park, which is like a 10-minute walk. Uh, we always park there. We kind of cut through the park across the bridge along the river there. And I wore these shoes that were not waterproof. I didn't know whether they were waterproof or not because I never worn them in wet stuff. And, man, my socks were soaking wet within, like, five minutes. And I don't have to tell you, right, the quickest way to get cold is to have your feet be cold. Right? I froze my tail off that game, and it wasn't even that cold. It was, like, 30 degrees and slushing the entire time. The battle that got me was the one that I was not prepared for. You see, we got to understand that uh, this life is a battle. You can either run to it and be prepared for it, or you can let it happen to you. Option A is the better one, I can promise you. And God's hope for us is not only that we will survive, but that we'll be prepared, that we'll press forward despite the schemes of the enemy. Now, I want to point out to you two very unusual things about the battle that we are fighting, running into this morning. The first one is this. The outcome of this war is already decided. Let's read together uh, Ephesians 6, 10-13. It says this. The armor of God, very famous passage. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the dumbest schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I read more than I meant to read there. We're talking about uh, verses 10 through 13, this first point. The outcome of this war is already decided. You see, this is the only battle in history where the winner is already 100% determined. There's been some lopsided ones for sure, but this is the only one that I know of where the winner's already 100% determined. As Christians would like to say, we've read the end of the book, right? We know that the dead in Christ shall rise. Uh, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And when it comes to a traditional war, traditional battle, the objective is always the same, right? If you're in a war or you're, or you're in a battle, the objective is to kill as many of the other as possible. Capture as many of the other as possible. Force them to retreat. And in this world that we are fighting, that absolutely is our enemy's goal. 
Except this enemy is not looking to kill our physical body necessarily. He's looking to kill our soul. The greatest weapon of the enemy, the greatest weapon of Satan is to bring death to our hearts. That's the thing he's hoping to do. But we know this as Christians, right? We know that by Jesus, by his great sacrifice for us, he's already defeated death once and for all. And that's why it's so important that Jesus rose from the dead. That is the mighty power that it talks about in verse 10. Jesus rose from the dead. By his mighty power, he defeated death in the grave. The mighty power of God renders the one enemy, and one weapon the enemy thought would win the battle for him, ineffective. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, meaning Jesus, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of him. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You see, if we know Christ, we don't have to fear death anymore. We know that if we've accepted Christ, that we will be with him in paradise. We know that one day the dead in Christ shall rise. That's going to be a sight to behold. People coming straight out of the grave. And all of that is the mighty power of the Lord at work in our lives. But if we know all that, I'm telling you that we're all fighting a battle, right? getting you all psyched up to fight a battle. If we know all of that, what is the point of even fighting? Right? If you already know who's going to win, why fight the battle? It's a rhetorical question. There are reasons. Why not, though, just, if you know who's going to win, why not just try to ride it out somewhere safe? Right? And it's tempting to do in this world, right? Shut, shut everybody else out. Keep your kids around you nice and safe. What's the point of even fighting? Well, the first reason is this. The first reason we fight is that we believe in our cause. We believe in our cause. Even if we know that Jesus is going to win, we, uh, we believe in our cause. One of the reasons we run to the battle, even though we know what the end result is, is that we believe with all our heart in who Jesus is. We don't believe he's just a guy or a prophet or a good teacher. We believe he's the Savior of the world, the Son of God. And when you believe something with all your heart, it makes you want to do everything in your power to advance that cause, right? If you really believe it. You know, a battle I used to get uh, really involved in uh, was the Android versus iPhone battle. <laughs> I didn't bring one up here to show off to you, but I used to, I mean, I just, I'm a nerd about tech stuff, you know, and, and these days I use an iPhone. I've used one for quite a while. I've I, I got an amen, first amen of the day Whoa. about iPhones. I love it. Uh, <laughs> But back in the early smartphone days, I was Android through and through. If, if you are nerdy enough to remember, the very first uh, Android smartphone was called the G1. This had, had this little, she remembers. She had this, uh, this little keyboard that came out and this little keyboard. And this was so early on that when you flipped the phone sideways, the screen didn't flip. It just stayed straight up and down. This is early, early smart, smartphone days. And I thought it was awesome. I had like, my email in my pocket, be able to check ESPN.com, see my sports scores. You know, see all that on my, on my smartphone. I knew, man, when every new phone that came out, uh, there weren't quite as many of them then. This is probably, you know, 10, 12 years ago. I knew every release date. I knew every performance number, every benchmark, every single thing you could know. You know, I could tell you Snapdragon this, throttle this, I'll move my phone this, put a new Snapdragon ROM, all that stuff. Some of you are Snapdragon like this guy. Nerd. <laughs> Those of you that are nerdy enough know what I'm talking about. And I would participate in all kinds of Debates about those things. Why did I debate people all the time? I'll give you a clue. It wasn't because I was going to change someone's mind. 
that they were going to change my mind. We just heard an amen about iPhones, man. When people decide, they've decided. I wasn't changing anybody's mind. And when I had decided that I was uh, going to be an Android guy, you weren't changed my mind with your lame iPhone, which ironically I carry now. The reason I argued was because I believed in the cause. I didn't think I was going to change their mind necessarily, but I believed in their cause. I thought the battle was already run. Of course Android's better. You can do this and you can do that, right? I, I, I knew it was better, but I continued to fight because I believed in the cause. This is one of the reasons that we run to the battle, even though we know the end result. We believe in the cause of Christ so strongly. We know about the blood of Jesus, right? We know that it can change people's lives. And that leads us to the next reason that we fight, and that is because we want to save as many as possible along the way. Right? The battle, it may be decided that who's going to win. Jesus has already won the battle over death and hell on the grave, but it is not already decided who will go to heaven and who won't. It is indeed a different type of war we're fighting. But there are people all over the place who they need what many of us in here have discovered. What you're feeling this morning as we worship. 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verses 3 through 5, sums, sums it up really well. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You see, we run to the battle because we believe in the cause. And we want as many people to know about it. We want the cause of Christ to demolish as many arguments, as many pretensions as possible. So we've established it's a different kind of war because we already know who wins. Verse 11 tells us something critically important that we must do if we, as God's people, are going to run to the battle. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You see, even though the outcome is already decided, that doesn't mean the fighting won't be fierce. I shared with the uh, worship team this morning uh, if you go read about history, some of the fiercest battles ever fought are uh, with countries or armies who already know they're defeated, but they do not want to give up an inch of ground. The outcome might already be decided, but that doesn't mean the fighting's not going to be fierce. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That doesn't mean the fighting's not going to be fierce every day. That's right. Anyone here ever played paintball before? You got any paintballs? Yes! Woo! <laughs> So if you never played paintball, I only got a few hands, so I better explain it to you. So uh, if you never played paintball before, this is what you do. You get these, uh, these you know, pretend guns that don't shoot real bullets. You get these uh, balls of paint with hard shells. You crank the, the PSI as much as possible, and you try to inflict as much pain on the other person with the things as possible. You, like, go to an old abandoned building, or you go to a forest, and you wear the thickest clothes possible because I'll just tell you it hurts if you get shot with a paintball yes. um, where there is no clothing. Really bad. Really bad. Even, even Not that I have done it had it done to me, you know. Um, some of you are like, yeah, that sounds real fun. I think I will go do that. No. Um, it is, I mean, it's a rush for sure. 
you're always wearing a mask, right? So if you go to a paintball field, you, you have to wear the mask. This is the one rule they have. You have to wear a mask. Yeah. And uh, they have this big thing about there's an orange plug that goes into your barrel. So you so everyone knows when the game is started. And if you accidentally pull the trigger, you don't accidentally shoot somebody. Because I used to put teenagers all the time, and I used to accidentally get shot all the time. Um, I'll give you a tip, though. Uh, I had this youth leader. Uh, <laughs> But this youth leader, whose husband was a professional paintballer, he was on ESPN for paintball. Yikes. I know you didn't know that was a thing, but it is. And uh, we would go paintballing, and we would give the kids all the cheap rental guns, and I would get, like, the best professional gun there was. <laughs> so I could just sit on the other side and just snipe kids from all the It's not cheating. <laughs> but there's nothing worse if you're playing paintball. There's nothing worse than not being ready when the thing starts. Mm-hmm. Because you walk out with you, because you, it's always hot. It's like 95 degrees, you're playing in the summer, and you got the mask up, right? So you're walking on the field. And when they blow the horn or the whistle or whatever, and all of a sudden you hear pop, 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 and you don't have that mask down, you're about to get a paintball in the mouth through the ear, right? So you jump behind the bush, and you throw that thing down, and you still, you've got the, the little plug in the end of your barrel, and you're pulling the trigger, and it's getting paint all in your barrel, and your gun's not working, all because you weren't prepared. Yeah. If you aren't ready when the battle starts, you're reduced to hiding and hoping you are not out as soon as the thing starts. Hoping you don't get shot in the earlobe with the paintball. <laughs> you see, in any battle, that's why it says put on the full armor of God. In any battle, we have to be prepared before we ever get to the battlefield. Hey, you got to be ready before you get there. And being prepared makes all the difference between running to the battle and just surviving. You want to run to the battle, you got to be ready. There's a few key details in here. It says to put on the full armor of God, not just the pieces that are comfortable, the ones that are easy to get. Put on the full armor of God. We're going to talk about it in a few minutes, some specific parts of it, and also next week. There's both defensive weapons and offensive weapons described in here. But you need both. You need the defensive stuff and the offensive stuff if you hope to take any ground, if you hope to run to the battle. We can also see that it says we put on that armor so we can stand against the enemy. Of course, the ultimate goal is to take ground in the cause of Christ, lead people to the Lord. That's what we do what we do on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, as a church. But one of the most important things is in, in any battle is having a forward base. If you go research history, one of the most important things is being able to establish a place as far forward as possible so you can attack from there. The first key to taking ground is establishing your own position, being strong enough that you can stand against whatever's coming against you right in your spot. And if we're going to run to the battle, we have to have our armor prepared so that we can hold our position once we get there. Finally, we see this, that we have to put on the armor so we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. New Living Translation, I like the way it puts it. It says, stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. We spent some time talking several weeks ago about, uh, in Ephesians, it says that the devil is the prince of the power of the year. When it comes to spiritual battle, he's already lost. On earth, though, he's the prince of the power of the air. He does have some influence. But as we said before, his one big weapon, death, that one's already been defeated. Because his biggest weapon has been defeated, he has to resort to sneaky strategies. Things like trying to twist the word of God. And that's one of the sneakiest things the enemy does, is help trying to make us water down the word of God. Twist it. 
uh, one of the sneakiest things the enemy does is uh, sow disunity within the church. Make us turn on each other. One of the sneakiest things the enemy does is put temptation in front of Christians so as to make them less effective. You know, he might not be all-powerful, but he's also not stupid. He knows the things uh, that can frustrate us and tempt us. What I said earlier is true. The enemy's only hope is that we are unprepared. Right? He can't kill us if we know the Lord, but he can hope that we're unprepared and he can hope to pick at us. Yeah. However, if we've already put on the armor of God that we're going to talk about shortly, then we are prepared for those attacks. Verse 12 is one you've heard over and over and over uh, if you've been in church. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You go research this verse, there's a lot of people that will, uh, they love to try and uh, define exactly what those things are, what the rulers are, what the authorities are, the powers of this dark world. If you look far enough, you'll find people that try and say, you know, specific people are these. It's one of those deals where you can talk about it, argue about it, it's interesting to do, but we'll get to heaven one day and we'll see how right or more likely wrong that we were about what each of these things were. But what God does want us to know is that there's a war raging all around us that we can't see. Right. Right? That's what it's saying there is there's this world we can't see and there's a battle going on right now. As we referenced before, the enemy's best weapon is deception. So he's at work all the time. He's trying to twist what is good. He's trying to soften what is wrong. And be careful that the enemy isn't able to twist what is good and soften what is wrong. I'm convinced that one of the greatest schemes of the enemy in our current day is taking things that are laid out as black and white in God's word and mixing them together to make gray. Man, there are big questions we have to learn and lean into. And God is not afraid of our big questions. As your kids grow up, teenagers, your college kids grow up, God's not afraid of their big questions. But there are things that are black and white in the Bible. And one of the greatest schemes of the enemy is mixing those things together, making everything gray. And because we don't know where the attack is coming from or, or when it's coming, it's all the more important that we are always ready. Don't know when it's coming, don't know where it's coming from, consequently, you have to always be ready. We also got to understand that the battle that we are currently fighting, that seems like the biggest battle in the entire world, the battle we're currently fighting, it's part of a bigger battle. Right? The one we're fighting is part of a bigger one. God, he's the great general. He's moving the pieces as he sees fit. In many cases, most cases, we don't get to know the big grand battle plan. You see, we can't understand with our eyes. There are a few people here and there that get glimpses of the great war that's raging in the heavens. If you read those books by Frank Peretti back in the day, uh, this, this present darkness, piercing the darkness, he describes it really well, what he thinks it would look like. But we can't see it, but God can. He sees it all. And what we must do, because he's the great general, is follow his direction. Fight the battles he's given us on this earth. In fact, that's not just what we should do, it's what we must do. If we're going to run to the battle, we have to do what he needs us to do. You know, imagine, and we don't get to decide necessarily the battles that we're in. Yeah, imagine, right, that we don't get to decide, well, I'm not sure how this is going to turn out, so I'm just not going to try, right? Imagine 
a modern day warfare, right? You've got a, a pilot on an aircraft carrier, right? And he's ready to go off on a mission, and he's like, you know what? I'd like to know what the purpose of this is. Because someone call the general and tell me what the actual reason of this before I go ahead and take off. That's not anything that happens, right? When you're a soldier and you're in the middle of a battle for your country or for your life, you do what the general tells you to do. And God is the great general, moving us around, putting us in the right places. Son or daughter, I've got you here, and I've prepared you for this. Put on my full armor. We can, we can be assured for sure that if we are following God, he's got us right where he wants us. If you're following God, he's got you right in the middle of the battle he wants you in. He's giving you the tools. He's giving you the weapons. Verse 13 kind of reinforces what Paul has been saying in these first few verses. In fact, he repeats the same line. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Except this time, he, he tells them to be ready when the day of evil comes. And I believe this, uh, the day of evil has a uh, twofold meaning. One, that the day of evil is now. Like we're living in the day of evil. When this was written, they were living in the day of evil. That's just the way that the world has fallen, right? There's sin in the world. But also, secondly, uh, there's temptation that the enemy places in our past or in our path. And, and that's the type of evil we live in sometimes. Even when Jesus was on earth, the time he was physically on earth, the enemy was at work. But the devil came at Jesus with a new strategy. He tempted him in the wilderness. We can read about it in Matthew chapter 4. So the day of evil is right now, but also uh, there are specific ones that come. The scripture that kind of crystallizes it, kind of like a companion for this, 1 Peter 5, 8, 9, says this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So we're to put on the full armor of God in preparation for what the enemy will bring. And remember that if we wait till we're in the middle of the fighting, it's going to be an uphill battle at best. Yes, the outcome of the war is decided, but if we're going to run to the battle, then we have to put on the armor of God right now. And as we move into talking about the armor itself, it's talked about in Ephesians 6. We see the second unusual thing about this war, and that is, in this war, we are bringing life, not death. Like we touched on earlier, right? Think about most wars, the object is to kill as many people as possible. But in this war, the war that we read about that's not against flesh and blood. The objective is to press forward with the life that Jesus brings. Press forward. Let's read together verses 14 and 15. Stand firm then. The belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We're going to talk uh, briefly about these three pieces of armor this week. Next week, the other three, and then also the end of the entire book of Ephesians. These first three weapons that are mentioned, like we said earlier, these are defensive weapons. And these are the kind of weapons that a soldier in this time in the first century, they would have kept on them at all times. Next three were weapons a soldier uh, would have had with them, ready to wield, but they weren't ready quite like these, these three are. But these, starting with the belts of truth, they would have been fitted, ready. If a soldier was on the battlefield, these things were 100% ready. 
These are things that if you were a soldier in the first century, you didn't go anywhere without these three things strapped up. And I think that there is a reason that truth is the first weapon mentioned, belt of truth. That's because, friends, in every situation, God's truth fights for us. In your life, God's truth will fight for you. You've heard me say uh, dozens of times, probably already since we've been here, that, man, when you shine uh, the light on something, when you shine the light of truth on something, it loses all its power. The light of God's truth will fight for you. In the gear of a soldier of the first century, the belt uh, is where everything started. Because the first thing that a soldier would have put on as he prepared for battle was the belt. And it was kept really tight. The only time it was loosened it was the soldier was off duty. And what it did is it tightened up the soldier's clothes so nothing would hinder him in the battle. No clothes would be hanging off. It kept the breastplate secure and in place when it was put on. The sheath or the scabbard for the sword, it hung from the belt. So the belt was the first part of preparing for the battle. And in our lives, friends, the truth is where everything starts. You either have it or you don't. The truth is where everything starts. Standing in the truth is the first part of preparing for battle. Most times uh, in the first century, when, when we're talking about soldiers here, most times combat was close quarters or hand-to-hand. That belt would have tightened up any loose ends if you had given the enemy a handhold or an advantage. It's really important that thing was tight to keep everything in. And that truth, friends, serves the same purpose for us today. The truth cinches up the loose ends in our lives. The truth takes away any advantages that we have over us. We're talking here about the truth of salvation, the truth that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Savior will shed his blood for you and me. We're talking about the truth of salvation. We're talking in turn about being honest with ourselves about our, our, fears, our fears and failures, giving those things to God, striving to be honest in every interaction we ever have on this earth. And because this is a different type of battle, the belt of truth, it brings life. It doesn't bring death. Truth will bring you life, friends. Next part of the armor mentioned here is the breastplate of righteousness. Now the breastplate back in this day was made of something just as impenetrable as they could find. Uh, it could have been tough leather, it could have been bronze, uh, chain mail if they could find it. If you were like a higher up soldier, a lot of times you had a fancy chain mail one. And the job of the breastplate was, when the fighting started, to cover the heart as many vital organs as possible. So it also sometimes had a, a back piece to it, but it needed the belt to hold it in. Couldn't just set it on you. Needed the belt to hold it in. The breastplate was incredibly vital to surviving any first century battle. Any first century battle. There's a reason, friends. The breastplate is likened to righteousness. Is living a righteous life is the most important protection we can have on the battlefield that is this world. Make no mistake, it's a battlefield out there. Living a righteous life can be a breastplate. And remember, the only way that we gain righteousness is by placing our hope and our trust in Jesus. If you want to have the breastplate of righteousness, place your hope in Jesus. Yes, there is a way of life that flows out of knowing Christ, right? If you know Christ, if you really know him, then your life reflects it and things begin to look a little bit different. The righteousness is reflected in the personhood of Christ, of who he was on this earth. 
And when we give our lives to him, that righteousness, it comes from him. So we daily lean into his righteousness, our breastplate, the protection for the most vital parts of our life, it becomes even stronger. The more we lean into the righteousness of Jesus, the stronger that protection becomes. Remember, God's hope for us is that we can run to the battle. The way we can do that and survive and be safe is by putting on righteousness like a breastplate. Fastening it, fastening it to ourselves with the belt of truth. And once again, because this is a different type of battle, righteousness brings life and not death. These weapons bring life and not death. Finally, verse 15, we're almost done. Verse 15, we see that our feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Once we've got righteousness fastened tightly to us by truth, we can begin to take, take ground. The reason we can take ground is because we have peace with God. History tells us, you go research this, that having good footwear, good shoes, is one of the most important things you can have in a military campaign. Both Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar, they had great military success, partly because their soldiers could mark, march longer distances than anyone else's, and they could do it at high speed. And they could do it because they had right shoes. Roman soldiers, they essentially wore boots with nails in them to give them good grip. They knew that if they got into a hand-to-hand battle, they had to have good grip. If you're going to do something difficult, trust them that your feet won't fail you. It's of utmost importance. If you're doing something hard, your feet got to be solid underneath you. I was going to bring my basketball shoes with me and show them to you today, but they're packed in a box. <laughs> And uh, the older I get, the better shoes I have to wear. These ones I have right now, they're not fancy, um, but they're like pretty high, high tops, and they're super stiff. Save me multiple times uh, from, you know, worse injuries than I would have had. And if you think of anything you're going to do, any sport, climbing, hiking, you've got to have the right shoes. Friends, we have to know this morning that if we are going to run to the battle, if we're going to thrive in the midst of it, Instead of just survive, you need to know this this morning. If you don't go out of here remembering anything else, remember this. Peace with God will take us farther than peace with the world ever will. You can make peace with the world all you want, but it will fill you. Peace with God will take you farther than peace with the world ever will. The world, friends, shiny and nice as we try to make a scene, the world, this world only sees hard. But peace with God brings fulfillment that the world never will. See, because this is a different type of battle. The gospel of peace, it brings life and not death. The belt of truth brings life. The breastplate of righteousness brings life. The gospel of peace brings life. Shabbat has this morning as we get ready to close. I um, just want to read you this one final scripture. I just uh, felt led to you last night. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21, it says this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Today, friends, if I could encourage you, 
any one thing, it would be this, be reconciled to God. He sent his son who had no sin to be sin for us, for me and for you. If you feel too dirty for God this morning, that you've gone too far, you've messed up too many times, you've seen too many things, you've done too much, Remember what we just read, he made him who had no sin to be sin for us. He sent him here so every single one of us can have peace with God. If you're here this morning, I don't care where you've been, what you've done, you can accept that peace today. It's all over this place, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're here and you've never accepted Christ into your life, this idea of someone forgiving your sin is revolutionary. And you want to become a Christian today, or maybe you're here and you have known God, but if you're honest, you say that you're far from Him. And if you're honest, you would say, yeah, I understand being righteous and I understand the truth, but I don't feel like I have peace with God. I don't want to end today without giving you a chance to have it. To our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. All across this place, if you're here this morning, you want to become a Christian, you want to rededicate your life, you want to have peace with God, when I count to three, would you raise your hand? One, two, three. Awesome, thank you. Let's pray together, friends. I'm, I'm going to repeat a prayer. We don't do this every week, but I'm going to repeat a prayer. I'm going to ask every single one of you to repeat it after me. Now, online, even if you're watching, Repeat this prayer, uh, mean it in your heart, and God will reconcile your life. Jesus will come into your life. I just want to encourage you uh, just once more strongly. If you know the Lord, but you don't have peace with Him, and mean this prayer in your heart, He can revolutionize your life. Would all of you in this place, even if you didn't raise your hand, you can repeat this after me, just agreeing with those around. Would you say, Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. I believe in you. I believe you came to earth. You lived a life with no sin. And you died. You rose again. Today, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I accept you into my heart. God, would you bring me peace with you? In your name, Lord. Amen. Amen, friends. You can let God Oh, man. Oldest, youngest in this place. If you said that and you meant it, and there's been nothing but turmoil, God wants to give you peace in your heart today. Just last night as I was going through this, I was just was in my mind when I woke up this morning. God wants you to have peace with him. Yeah. And the way he made it happen is he sent his son who had no sin to be seen for us. Can we sing a little bit, Pastor Army, as possible? Let's just sing that chorus. That'd be awesome.